Hello, everybody. Good Tuesday. Welcome into another live Patriots beat. Evan Lazar, Alex Barth, per usual, here. And, Alex, we're going to talk about a bunch of things today, starting with some leftover thoughts from free agency. Then we're going to get into some things about the Alabama Pro Day today. Some interesting uh, workouts, certainly, from a Patriots perspective. I also thought it's interesting that Bill Belichick, who's usually front and center at these things at Alabama every single year, I think it was last year they were filming the documentary, the Saban versus Belichick thing for HBO, and they had uh, both of those guys front and center, Belichick basically running it from a pro standpoint uh, last year. Today, not as much in the fold there. And then we're also going to discuss some needs for the Patriots that remain after the free agency splurge. I wanted to open with some closing thoughts on last week. So we had some time to let it sit in and kind of seep in for us. And I, I think that the two things that I wanted to touch on, Alex, and then you can bring up whatever you want to bring up. First thing is we've talked to a bunch of the Patriots free agent signings today and yesterday, and there's this overwhelming theme of wanting to play for Bill Belichick, wanting to play for the New England organization, and sort of this feeling that, the Patriots are a little bit different than other destinations and maybe that you would sign with. And I think a lot of people ourselves included maybe at times thought that that had kind of gone away with Tom Brady and that sort of Patriot aura had kind of gone away with Tom Brady. But it sounds like talking to guys in particular, like a Hunter Henry or a Johnny Smith or even Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, uh, excuse me, Kendrick Bourne, not Nelson Aguilar. uh, Those guys are, seem to want to be here. Jalen Mills is the other one I was thinking of that want to be here to play for Bill Belichick, want to be here to play for the Patriots and are really excited about the direction of the team moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, they didn't just go out and get players they needed. It seems like they got guys who fit, who fit the mentality, who fit the drive. And look, it's really easy to say that you're looking forward to the grind when the grind still doesn't start for another three or four months, but right. Um, there, there seems to be kind of a renewed energy in the building. There seems to be, yeah. um, j- just guys who are in there who, who want to be a part of the fix. I think Kendrick Bourne really stood out to me as a guy who has a chance to be a, a fan favorite here and him saying, you know, I, I think last year was an anomaly. I think they're going to turn it around in one year. We're going to contend for the Super Bowl every year I'm here. Like, I don't, that, that mentality's been, been missing. I, I don't want to say last year that guys weren't going for a Super Bowl, but I think there was, you know, especially after COVID happened, just this kind of, there was this mental gap from where the Patriots usually are. I don't know any better way to put it, but I think there's guys coming back in who still buy into that Patriot way, who still believe in the aura of the New England Patriots as this transcendent franchise, and they want to be a part of that, and they want to make sure the Patriots maintain that level, that standing in the NFL. And I think it's good that, you know, because there were questions, and some of them were fair, that how would the Patriots be viewed after losing Tom Brady and after having a 7-9 and season that, Really, they, they realistically could have only won five games that year. And I think there's still people out there who, who believe in this team, like players who believe in this team who want to be a part of getting it back to that point. Yeah, and the other thing that a lot of the players mentioned, especially Jalen Mills, was that they wanted to specifically play for Bill Belichick, feeling that Bill Belichick was going to sort of bring the best out of them as players because he has this reputation of using a player perfectly into their skill set, right? And and understanding what exactly a player is good at and being able to sort of hide some of the bad things that they're not so good at. And and that's something I think that a lot of players, especially players like a Jalen Mills, like a John Smith, who have 
pretty specific skill sets, you know, and, and ways that they win that are pretty specific. Now we can understand that those guys uh, are going to be well used. They're going to be put in positions to succeed. They're not going to be asked to do things that are maybe not what they're the most comfortable doing. And we're talking to a guy tomorrow in Kyle Van Noy, who's coming back to New England, who was sort of the one of the poster children of that in the past of so somebody that they found the exact right role for Kyle Van Noy and were able to get the most out of him. Patrick Chung, who just retired recently, another great example of that is somebody that was a very specific to a specific role and they had to figure it out and then they were able to get the most out of that player. I think that all of these certain things of these guys that they've gotten that fit certain roles, that fit the culture, that want to be here, that are excited about the direction of the team. Sure, money talks with all these players, but there's another sort of very loud amount of people in media, I would say right now, that are skeptical of the Patriots overspending in free agency and sort of paying some of these guys a little bit too much money. Some people, I think, are in the belief that the Patriots didn't go about this the right way and over overplayed their hand and overspent money on guys that are not necessarily the best players. And I think it's interesting talking to these guys the last couple of days, whether you think they overspent on them or not, they sp- clearly have things in mind for these players and how they're going to use them and specific roles they're going to use them in. And I think that that's sort of where you lose me in those arguments is that, sure, they – are something that are a little bit uh, Nelson Aguilar, maybe they overpaid him a little bit. Matt Judon, maybe in certain systems, isn't exactly the guy that they that other teams would want to pay in the pass rushing market and the edge rushing market. But I think for the Patriots, they look at those types of guys, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, uh, certainly a guy like Judon, as players that they are going to get the most out of here specifically. And I think Judon's the perfect one to kind of use that as an example of somebody that can set the edge, rush the passer, and drop into coverage from on the line of scrimmage. That's a role that we've seen the Patriots use for two decades and sort of get the most out of guys like that. So maybe in other places, Matt Judon's not a $14 million player, but maybe in New England he is because they're able to unlock everything that he is good at. And I think too, we, you know, we heard for weeks and weeks and weeks that nobody would sign in New England and, and we right. kind of, because they had no leverage and the leverage was they had all this money to spend. And, you know, if you want to say, well, the Patriots have to overspend, they've never done that. That's fair. But that, that's what most NFL teams have to do. If you want the free agent, you have to pay more than he's worth because if you don't, somebody else will. The Patriots have never had to do that. Now they do. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, that just means they're, they're one of 32 teams now. Right. Which sucks because it was fun when they were special and different and all that, but it's not anything, no, it's not anything a team hasn't done. And I've seen all the stats about, you know, we used to, or, or the tweets about, we used to make fun of the teams that win free agency and you don't win, win Super Bowls in, in, right. in March and this and that. And first off, you know, somebody said the team that spent the most in free agencies never won the Super Bowl that year. That year, fine. But what about in two or three years? How are you setting it up? Second of all, those teams don't have Bill Belichick. They tend to not have a ton of direction in general. I just, I mean, I think this is different. I think Bill Belichick has earned the right where we, we can see how this plays out. And I wouldn't say, you know, a lot of those teams that just spent, they went out and signed like five of the top 10 for agents. And that's just what it was. You know, I remember the Eagles super team signed like four corners and they had guys, right. they were paying a ton of money who weren't playing because it didn't make sense why they signed guys. They were just signed players to sign players. It seems like everybody the Patriots signed, at least everybody they gave significant money to, 
you can see what the role is. Now, whether you agree or not, you know, a guy like Aguilar, maybe you think that's more money than the role is worth, and that's a fair discussion. But I, I don't think they signed any of these guys just to sign them. I think each one of these guys is here for a clear purpose, which isn't always the case with these teams that go on spending sprees. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm coming from, it too, is that if they went out and they signed – Corey Davis and Curtis Samuel and Johnny Smith, and that was their haul. And I think everybody out there would be like, oh, that was a great free agency for the Patriots because those are brand-name players that we know of, right? Those are fantasy football right. guys. They're, those are guys that that everybody can uh, can identify with and understand who those players are. Maybe you don't understand who a Kendrick Bourne really is. Maybe you don't understand why the Patriots view Nelson Aguilar maybe a little bit differently than other teams. And that's okay that, that maybe you – were caught up in some of the other kind of players that were out there on the open market. And on this show, we talked a lot about Corey Davis. We talked a lot about Curtis Samuel. We talked a lot about Will Fuller and Juju Smith-Schuster and players that are name-brand guys. And Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne are just not those types of guys, right? They're the kind of second or third tier receivers that people think of. Maybe some people have never even heard of Kendrick Bourne before he signed with New England last week. So I get that these aren't necessarily those types of players, but I think sometimes we get too caught up in what all of us experts say that really don't know much, right, in terms of what the Patriots are actually going to do. I I don't mean we don't know much about football. I just mean we don't know much of what's actually going to happen. And we listen to a, a lot of these guys, you know, these people, and they say, well, the better value was, you know, Nelson Aguilar was worse value for the Patriots than Curtis Samuel would have been. And it's, well, they're two different players, right? They play two different roles. So the Patriots are looking for a size speed player that can play the Z position, maybe play some of the X, and that's not Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel is a smaller receiver that's better with the ball in his hands and not as good down the field at route running and things like that. So they were looking for a different type of skill set than somebody like Nelson Aguilar. And that's, I think, what people are missing is that Nelson Aguilar is a different type of player than Curtis Samuel, so it's not really an apples-to-apples comparison in terms of what they were looking for and what they were shopping for. And lastly, you know, Bill Belichick, for all of his flaws – he knows much better than all of us what exactly he needs to make the team better and what exactly is going to work here in New England in this system with this fit. So I think that we can basically give him the benefit of the doubt, like you said, that he's going to be able to get the most out of all these types of players that he's brought in because he understands exactly how they're going to be used. And like you said, you see the role, you see the fit, you see the culture fit with some of these players. And I think that is really important for all of this as well. So I understand that if you look at it from you know the last five teams that spent like crazy in free agency, I think none of them won a playoff game the following year or something like that, and a couple of them missed the playoffs, and most of the time it doesn't really work out, but at the end of the day, I think that this is a lot different than those types of situations in terms of who the coach is and who, what the culture is and what the fit is with the player, even if you didn't necessarily agree with that player being chosen as for Bill Belichick to pay that guy. All right, so let's also talk about Alabama's pro day today. So I want to talk about this from two angles. First, first angle is we can certainly talk about the players themselves and how they performed and what we think of all of them. But I mentioned off the top of the show that I found it interesting that this wasn't the let's let's roll Bill Belichick out there and his Alabama gear and with the pom-poms and cheering on Nick Saban and his guys and this is a much more subdued pro day circuit Bill Belichick was not at North Dakota State for Trey Lance's pro day he wasn't at least front and center and I, I don't believe he was at Alabama today so 
we can take this from many different angles. I'm sure people at your station are going to say Bill's being lazy or something like that and should be showing up, but maybe he doesn't want to tip his hand. Maybe he doesn't, he wants to kind of fly under the radar this draft season because he does have a target that he's looking to potentially trade up for in the top 10. But I guess where do you stand on the fact that they definitely need a quarterback and Bill Belichick, at least so far has not been showing up to the pro days of the top quarterbacks in the draft. I mean, it doesn't bother me. I I think, you know, what I guess, and you could probably speak to this better than I could. What are, what are you really learning from a pro day? Is the pro day going to make or break, you know, maybe if you're the jets at two and you're really close on Wilson and fields and you just want one last look at them, then like in that case, I get it. The Patriots, even if they trade up, they're probably getting whoever the fourth quarterback is. They're probably picking by default. I, you know, what is Bill going to get that the scouts aren't? I, I, I've never really understood it. it and maybe more this year because the combine, I like, what are they going there to learn? Maybe you want to talk with players, interact with players, see, see what their work ethics like, right? Like lower down on the rung. If you get to that point and you're a quarterback, I just think there's a certain assumption of, of work ethic and all of that. So I, you know, would I like to see Bill there? Certainly. And I, I I'm more bothered. He, the, the North Dakota State one didn't bother me. The Alabama one stands out a little bit more because there's so many other players there right. that he could be talking to, that he could be interacting with. It goes beyond the quarterback, but I mean, what realistically is he going to see? from Trey Lance going to that pro day, from Mac Jones going to that pro day that he probably doesn't already know so that he I can't think, see on tape. So I think the biggest thing is, and and this sort of gets into the scouting cliches a little bit, right? This sort of gets yeah. into the, some of the old school scouting cliches, is that with quarterbacks in particular, it's much easier to gauge how the ball comes out of somebody's hand when you're there in person and you're seeing it with your own eyes up close. When you watch it on tape, it can be a little bit deceiving at times. Sometimes it can be a little bit t- tough to gauge. And what the idea is, is that you go to Trey Lance's pro day, you go to Mac Jones's pro day, you go to Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence's pro days, and then you stack them up. Right? Who had the best yep. coming out of the hand? Who had the the best ball? Who threw the best spiral? Who threw the most catchable pass? And that's something that I wanted to mention today with Mac Jones is that he throws a very pillowy pass. Right? He throws like a a nice little soft pill where it's very easy to catch. It's in the right spot most of the time, and that's the most important thing. But I think more so than that is the fact that the ball is very – it has the right amount of touch on it depending on the type of throw that he's making, which I think is important. We know Trey Lance can throw the ball through through the door, right? He can can gun it 100 miles an hour, but can he take the – the ball and throw it a little bit with a little bit of touch with a little bit of pace so that he can get that kind of mixture of that pillowy pass. Mac Jones is somebody that definitely can do that. But I think that the what you mentioned is with these scouts is that you want to be able to stack it together. These guys through and through and say, sure, but I, again, they, they did the send representatives and somebody did bring up a good point in the chat. He, he is what pushing 70 and COVID's still out there. We don't know if he's vaccinated or not. That, I guess that's fair. Like, I mean, I'm not, I don't know. He, he's he going down to, there on a private jet or on aircraft one and he's wearing I, did you see the, Did you see them all packed in there today when, when Mac Jones ran the 40? I, I don't sure. know. Like I wouldn't, he's, he seemed to take it very seriously this year. He had the double masks. He, you know, all that. I wouldn't put, he's a smart guy. He understands the, the risk, the, the inherent risk here. I think that he trusts his scouts to get him the information he needs. That's the other thing. Like he trusts the people who work for him. 
We're going to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props and almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That, that, maybe that, and I think that's the other angle as I, I, that I wanted to present here was I think a lot of people over the last couple of years, certainly, and his the criticisms of Bill Belichick's drafts in recent years are very, very fair, right? He's made a lot of decisions in the draft, specifically at the top of the draft, saying, okay, we are going to this, uh, to draft Nikhil Harry over AJ Brown, over Debo Samuel. We've done this before, right? We're going to draft Sony Michelle over Nick Chubb. These are things that I think have been mistakes that we can honestly own up to that, that have been wrong decisions by the Patriots. And maybe, and, and maybe this is COVID related or something totally different, but maybe Bill Belichick is actually allowing the scouts to scout and he's actually allowing his guys to go down to these pro days and actually stack his board for him and he's not just interjecting after the NFL season is over like he did last year in drafting all senior bowl guys right and I guess we'll see in a month if that's actually ends up being the case but I'm hoping that he's allowing Dave Ziegler and Dave Ziegler's staff a little bit more power in the draft room this year to make some of these decisions because his recent track record on his own is not exactly been great well that seems to be what's happening yeah so, yeah, I, again, I'm not I, – I think he's going to get the information he needs. I do. I, I don't think – I think if he needed to be there, he'd be there. It's not – you know, people are saying, oh, Bill's off on vacation, this or that. Oh, yeah, that's definitely not Like, you're going to tell me he just spent $150 million in free agency and then he's punting on the draft? Like, that's not – they're all in this off season. They're doing right. things differently and he's not there. But I'm I'm not going to sweat over him not going to a pro day. Neither am I, and I, I think it's important that if he is allowing his guys, his scouts, Dave Ziegler, that their college scouting department, to actually handle the draft a little bit more this year and take on a little bit more responsibility in the draft, I think that's a really good thing because right now Bill is cold as ice in the draft, right? I mean, you can't yeah. be well, any, any colder than he is right top. now. I mean, he's done – I I don't know. He he got, gets Michael Owen, Justin Heron, last year day three picks. Uh, the year before that, Jamie threw with those, those, the, the linemen though. And you know that Dante Scarnecchia had a big hand in making All right, but he's still, but, but he's still, if, if we're saying that we're attributing the draft to him, you can't attribute the, the good picks to other people and the bad picks to Bill. The year before that, he had Jake Bailey, he had Damian Harris. Oh, like, do he's, not bring up Jake Bailey. He's a punter. Come on, Alex. That was Don't a good pick. He was their best player last year. Yeah, that's saying a, lot. No, don't, that's saying a lot. Don't, don't, uh, special teams me. <laughs> Their special teams made a difference in them winning and losing games last year. And you could argue the pick of Jake Bailey hurt because then maybe they're picking in the top 10 and they get a quarterback. But he picked Jake Bailey. 31 other NFL teams could have with worse punters well, could have picked Jake Bailey and they didn't. Good he for was Bill, the best punter in football last year. Don't give me the new special teams. I just did. Jake Bailey and Damian Harris last year. He's he's it, done okay. It's the pre and I look, he's had trouble with the premium picks and that's ultimately the problem. Yeah. 
because yeah. you need to hit on those premium picks. But let's just let's not say that he's whiffed for four straight years in the draft. No, no, no. I'm not saying game. that. I'm saying that there are some clear decisions that are head scratching moves, especially even. And I'm not just operating in hindsight here, right? I'm operating before the right. draft even happened. We all watched a lot of these guys, and we all seen a lot of these guys. And if my not professional scouting eyes can tell you that Debo Samuel and Terry McLaurin and and DK Metcalf and AJ Brown are better prospects than Nikhil Harry and the Patriots were really really high on Nikhil Harry and as the story goes now it turns out that Nikhil Harry had a huge uh visit, top 30 visit with the Patriots, where he really impressed everybody in the building, both on the whiteboard, on the field. Every, he checked every single box when he came to Foxborough for yeah. that top 30 visit. Similarly, same top 30 visit, Debo Samuels in the parking lot at Gillette Stadium, Instagram living his way out of the Gillette saying, oh, I just you know worked out for Bill Belichick and the Patriots. That's not going to get you drafted by New England, right? If you're going right. to do those sort of things, it's not really a great look for in terms of the Patriots. So what you're seeing, I think, is that the Patriots got caught up in a lot of decisions where they wanted their type of guys, and they and Bill kind of fell for somebody. Kyle Duggar is a great example, and I think Kyle Duggar can still be a really good football player. But he went down there to Alabama and in Mobile and decided, wow, you know, this is the kid. This is the guy we're drafting. They trade out at 23. One pick earlier, Justin Jefferson goes to Minnesota at 22. Instead of taking an aggressive approach, they trade back. They get Duggar. I think Duggar's still going to be a good player. I think he was a good player as a rookie, and they have a chance to have a good safety there. But is Duggar moving the needle? Did Duggar really change anything for them? Maybe he will in the future. Maybe maybe right. they'll get a really good player out of him. Maybe he can take that next step and develop into like a pro bowler and I'll be eating my words. I think the point is is that they clearly got infatuated with a certain group of guys that kind of became Bill's guys. And that was exactly what Nick Casario and a lot of other people were kind of saying behind closed doors. And Casario specifically, he was always going to leave eventually for one one of these GM jobs, right? It was just a kind of a matter of time. But I think that he really wanted to take over the draft. I think that he looked at it and said that Bill's got too much control of the draft here and I got to go someplace else that he's going to be, that I'm going to be able to have control of the board. And I just hope that these pro days and the fact that some of these other scouts and some of these top guys that they sent to North Dakota State or somebody like Dave Ziegler is sort of getting that benefit. And Bill Belichick wasn't in Mobile for the for the Senior Bowl this year. They sent Ziegler and a group of people down there sans Bill. And I think that, that definitely is, is saying a lot about how they're approaching the draft this year. Let's talk about some of the guys that are down at Alabama, though, enough of this gossip BS, and I, I won't get you fired up against about Jake Bailey anymore. But – Let's get back into some of these draft guys. So Mac Jones, I thought he had a really good pro day today. I mentioned the pillowy throws. I mentioned the nice touch and the ability to throw the ball to all three levels with the right amount of pace and touch on the throws. He also ran, I think, a mid 4-8 in the 40-yard dash. So there is a lot of conversations about how this guy's a statue in the pocket and he's got no athleticism. Now it's a pro day. So those numbers are a little bit inflated, but if you go and you watch the video of Mac Jones run, he looks pretty natural running, right? You know, he looks like a pretty, a guy that's not a terrible athlete. He tested out as above average athlete. And I think what you're seeing is that maybe he's not quite as immobile or as much of a statue as some people like to name him that do these sort of things like us. Yeah. I mean, he's not. You know, you, you take those top four, he's the lead, the top five, he's the least mobile guy. And I right. think that's where it gets run into, but he's still a modern quarterback, right? Put him 
next to Kyle Trask, he, he he's Mike Vick. He's Lamar Jackson. The way he runs around, it's you know the 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 top four guys. Really, the top Lawrence is Lawrence. You take him out of his conversation. The three guys between him and Lawrence are really just just great athletic quarterbacks. Like they make plays athletically. That's their game. Mac Jones doesn't use his athleticism to make plays. So I think he gets looked at next to a Zach Wilson, next to a Trey Lance, uh, next next to a Justin Fields, and people say, oh, this, this guy's not athletic. Like, player A isn't athletic because player B is so much more athletic. And that's it, – it, like, like it's not it, – you can't make that kind of comparison. So the athleticism's there. I think he can go to it when he needs it. Is he going to blow people away athletically at the next level? No, but – to call him a statue again, Trask is the statue. Trask is the yeah. guy that when you think of your circa 2005 pocket passer, that's just going to stand back there and either throw the ball 80 yards and get hit. That's Kyle Trask. Jones will move around a little bit. He's just not quite on that level. Again, the guys he's being compared to, it's an unfortunate comparison. You know, like every other tight end in this class. Here's another example. There's like Brevin Jordan's pretty fast, right? You'd say Brevin Jordan's pretty fast. Yeah, he's a fast player. Very athletic player. Yeah. But he's going to get compared to Kyle Pitts. Right. So I guarantee you, who ran what a 4-4-6 yesterday, was it? Yeah, so I guarantee you, there's going to be people who say, well, Brevin Jordan's not that fast because look how fast Kyle Pitts is. Like that doesn't work. When you have guys who are just testing so far off the charts, it makes the average guys look below average. So that, that's where Matt Jones is with the athleticism. I'm not going to come out and say, Oh, look at him. He's so elusive. And like, I see some people taking a victory lap on that today. I wouldn't go that far, but his athletic, it's serviceable. His athleticism is serviceable, which I think some people were doubting. He definitely checked the box, right? Of he yeah. can still be a first round. He, he, he checked it in, in pencil. I know that he checked it in Sharpie, but it's checked. It's checked in pencil. It, it's checked and, and it's checked enough to be able to draft him, I think, in the first round. Whereas if he had run over a five second 40 and kind of just right. tanked all these athletic trade, you know, measurements and stuff like that, then we might not, we might have to have a conversation of, okay, does he have the athletic profile to be a top NFL quarterback, thus you're taking him in the first round. But he's certainly passed that test. And like you said, he's not the type of guy that necessarily is going to be super athletic, but he did play in an offense that had RPO packages, that had some option stuff to it, that had some modern elements to it. The the other thing about the offense that maybe covered up his athleticism is – you know, Zach Wilson, everybody's covered. He's got to run around and extend the play and, and look through right. something. How often did Matt Jones have to extend plays? Right. How often was Matt Jones' primary read not open? The guy won the freaking Heisman. So yeah. he, he, I think he has some athleticism, and people think that he doesn't show it because he doesn't have it. I just think he didn't show it because he didn't need to. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point too. And that was one thing that you hear and a lot of people talk about. Steve Sarkeesian, they mentioned on the uh, Alabama in the uh, national championship game broadcast, he said he's got quick eyes, right? A guy that just sees things really quickly, processes things really quickly, understands coverages, understands where his answers are, and gets the ball out fast. And that's why we've always talked about him as somebody that might really be intriguing to the Patriots. But I do think it is interesting with all their moves that they have made, I'm not necessarily so sold on the fact that he's the guy to be able to put into this offense. I still think he's going to be a good player, but I don't know if he's the right kind of guy. They might want to have somebody that's a little bit more mobile, even though he did check that box here today. The other element of the pro day for Mac Jones I thought was really interesting was how many times they scripted throws from under center. Because these guys, they come to these pro days, and they just want to – 
sling it, right? They want to stand back there. They want a seven-step draw from shotgun or something like that and bomb it away. And Mac Jones is out there, and he's throwing balls in the flat. He's throwing shorter passes over the middle. He's throwing touch throws up the seams. He's doing things that maybe you could translate a little bit better into the Patriots' offense. And Landon Dickerson was the one snapping him the ball, his center, for uh, the last couple of years. And they were operating from under center. So you could see his footwork off of play-action passes. You could see his footwork on rollouts. And that script, I think, was a little bit different than the script that we saw for Trevor Lawrence and the script that we saw for Trey Lance, where they were just really trying to showcase their arm, right, and showcase their arm talent and their ability to throw the ball down the field. Whereas with Mac Jones, they were kind of scripting those plays to show how he operates in a pro-style system, how he operates in an NFL offense. So I thought that was really interesting. The other sort of standouts from the Alabama Pro Day today, certainly the uh, Patrick Sertan. Yeah, I saw you tweet that you wouldn't hate if the Patriots take him at 15. I don't know how he gets out of the top four. He probably. I think he's the first non-quarterback taken. Yeah. I, so I can, good luck getting him at 15. I could see that. I think that this draft is unique, though, because you're going to have five quarterbacks drafted in the top 10. I don't know if this draft is as defensive heavy as it certainly is offensive heavy. So you're looking at five quarterbacks. You're looking at least one tackle, Penny Sewell, maybe a guy like uh, that. Um, I'm forgetting his name from Northwestern. Uh, Rashad, uh, of course, I'll look it up. Rashad but, Slater, yeah. Slater. I, so yeah you, thank you. The fact that it's not a defensive heavy draft, I think makes it even more likely that Patrick Sertan goes high because there isn't a ton of defensive uh, talent that's going to be worth more. Yeah, after today. I have, he, him, I have him as the best defensive player in the draft. I think he's I, up there. And after I, today, I he think, certainly looks like a top five pick. Yeah, like that's the guy that you pick in the top five. At if I'm Atlanta and I'm really serious about making one last run with Matt Ryan, I take him at four. I have that locked in. I have that draft card already written. Yeah. Because that was their biggest issue last year was the secondary and he's right there. I know you could probably trade down, get a ton, but that to me is like the perfect pick. I mean, maybe if they want to trade out, fine, but if you're really going to make a run with it for Matt Ryan and they gave him the new contract and whatever, taking a quarterback doesn't do that. You got to go out and invest and Sertan's the best investment. I don't see how he gets past four or five. He's a great player, and he's somebody that on tape, a lot of people were a little bit concerned with his long speed and his ability to run with receivers down the field. I was never that concerned with that. Maybe a little bit of the twitchy receivers, the quick shifty guys were, gave him a little bit of problems, kind of quick change of direction. But in terms of long speed, I was never concerned. Then he ran like a 4-4-2 or something like that today. So he's your prototypical top five corner in the draft, right? You know, the guy that gets drafted in the top five, Denzel Ward, uh, you know, players like that. I think that you're right that Patrick Sertan's probably going to fly off the board. If not in the top five, probably in the top ten picks. I don't see how he gets past Dallas at ten. You know, I think that that's sort of the, the the floor for him at that point. But maybe even Philadelphia, if they stay at six with that pick, might actually scoop him up at that point, too, because they need a corner as well. Uh, you mentioned a team that needs a corner, too. So I, I can see a lot of teams being very interested in Patrick Sertan after today. A couple of other names, uh, Christian Barmore certainly checked all the measurable boxes. I think he, he measured in at like 6'4", 320 or something like that. 
He's a big dude that can move, obviously. And uh, not my type of player for the Patriots in the first round, but I think looking at their moves on the defensive line, Henry Anderson, nice player. Devin Gadshot, nice player. But they don't necessarily have that difference maker up front, that guy that's going to demand double teams or really be able to create in the pass rush. So maybe a guy like Christian Barrymore starts to creep into the conversation if they do end sticking at 15 and they don't end up taking a quarterback or they trade back in the first round because the quarterbacks are gone or something like that. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with that. I think they, you know, this was a legendary, legendary Alabama team. This was up there with the best teams Nick Saban's coach, not just from their, their talent in college, but in terms of pro potential. So I would be shocked, and maybe it doesn't come until later on, but I would be shocked if we don't see a player from that Alabama team end up on the Patriots. Not as it doesn't have to be in round one, but I think we see at least one this year. And it's been a, a couple years in a row now, I believe. Uh, yeah, so. they've drafted something like 10 in the last, like, 10 years or something like that. They lead yeah. the NFL in the amount of guys drafted from Alabama since 2008. I think that's the stat. Yeah. The other guys, Landon Dickerson didn't even work yep. out, but everybody's buzzing about him just because he seems to be uh, a great guy to have around, a very funny. Well, they, they, they've got enough centers now. So they got David Andrews on a four-year deal. I think we can maybe cross that one off. Yeah, Dylan, was... Dylan Moe's an interesting one. I don't think he yeah. goes in the first round because of the injury concerns, but right. he's he's a great fit. For, like, he's a great day two pick. Fits the scheme. Very athletic player. There's just a huge if when it comes to his health. But if you hit on that pick, you're going to get a great linebacker, and that's kind of what you want to do in day two. So – uh, I look at Dylan Moses as a potential potential Patriot. Yeah, he's somebody that there's always one or two of those guys in the draft in the front seven where last year it was Terrell Lewis from Alabama who just kind of struggled with injuries, struggled to stay on the field. Uh, Moses played more games than, than Terrell Lewis did in, in college, but there's always a couple of those guys that you're kind of having a tough time of where do I slate this guy because of the injuries and stuff like that. But on day two, I think you could definitely take a chance on a guy like Dylan Moses. Alex Leatherwood had a really nice pro day as well. If you're Patriots, and we're going to talk about needs that still remain, I still think tackle as in terms of a long-term need exists. And yeah. Alex Leatherwood might be somebody that they could get in the second round, instead of taking a tackle with their first pick, they might be able to get him at 47, maybe, or 46, excuse me, maybe not. I, I don't know if he's still going to be there. He's a really impressive guy, really quick out of his stance in his past sets, really strong, powerful guy. They did a lot of play action, roll out, move him around type stuff today at Alabama to kind of showcase that athleticism. But he's a guy that when you put the pads on, he is someone that is a people mover. And they love those types of guys, especially on the right side of their offensive line. If He's certainly someone that I could see after Trent Brown's year here. Maybe they draft a guy like Alex Leatherwood. I think he could be the, the starting right tackle in year two for many years beyond that, right? You know, somebody that could really just plug and play right there at that spot. Uh, The last one I wanted to mention really quickly um, was Jalen Waddle, who didn't work out today, but still has a lot of people there buzzing about how good he is. Devontae Smith weighed in at 170. That was a big sort of thing to talk about as well, but who cares? I, I don't think it really matters. Ultimately, though, like you said, there's so many guys at Alabama that can play really good football, and uh, it would be great to see the Patriots get at least one of these guys. And you know that Saban's saying to Belichick, whether it's Mac Jones or not, you know, there's somebody that Saban is selling Belichick on. 
on uh, Deontay Brown's another one. The offensive lineman uh, got down to 340 pounds, which is a much more comfortable weight if you're going to evaluate that player. 380, that's definitely pushing it a little bit for an NFL offensive lineman. So similarly to Michael Onwenu, they moved, uh, he moved uh, down to about 340 in this process. And that's certainly something that I think is very, very important. So Patriots might not need a guard. He might not need any more interior linemen, but somebody to also keep an eye on. And uh, I think that that wraps up with Alabama's pro day. But did you see uh, Rondell Moore's pro day at Purdue today? I did. I did. He's a uh, really interesting prospect. Yeah. You have to gauge where you would draft him. Five foot seven, uh, only played seven games in the last two years. But if you turn on the table, Rondell Moore, he is an electric talent. And today he jumped like half of his height. Like he can, he can jump yeah. half of his own height and he ran a 429 unofficial, obviously hand time in the 40 yard dash. So he's somebody that can absolutely fly, explosive, big playmaker. And is certainly somebody that on day two of the draft, I would definitely start to entertain as, as another wide receiver the Patriots could bring in. It's just tough because you mentioned the injury concerns and the size, and those are certainly tied together. And this is just yeah. a great draft for those kind of wide receivers between yeah. Waddle and Canaries. Tony might go in the same neighborhood. You know, you get later on in the draft, you've got a number of other guys who fit that profile, Jalen Darden. And I just don't know, you know, as explosive as he was, given kind of what the offense looks like right now and what is the role for him immediately – I'm I'm fine. Like if they pick Rondell Moore, it's not a bad pick, but I'm fine passing on him on day two and, and missing out on a potentially good player because I just think the risk there is tremendous. And you know they still have other needs. They they still I don't know that receiver is a top two need of theirs right now. So I I I hesitate just because I don't you know. I think you could end up in a Chad Jackson situation again. There's just so him. many guys at that spot. You're right. You know, Mario Rogers, right. Elijah. If, if that's Martin the player. Mario Rogers, another one. If that's the player you want, that Tyree Kill mold, there's a lot of other options who are just as good who don't have the injury history or the size concerns. So I'm just look. I like. Will he turn into a good player? Probably. But I, you know, give me the guy who's just a bit more reliable, a bit more durable, who can do a lot of the same things. Yeah, you mentioned Darden, Tutu Atwell is also another guy that has yep. that sort of skill set a little bit later in the draft. So yeah, I agree with you 100% that there, I just wouldn't take the chance on Rondell Moore. And I really liked his take. That'd be, well, so, so that all being said though. Yeah. He could be one of these guys that's supposed to be a fringe first round, second round pick. Injury drops him onto day three. If you think you can get a kind of Malcolm Mitchell out of him where you right. get, he's there on, on, in the fourth, fifth round and you can get a year or two out of him before it all falls apart. Like if he's there in the fourth round, go for it. I just don't know that I'm investing a top 100 pick in him, but I, if they can Malcolm Mitchell him, absolutely do it. I just know that he's going to – the Patriots would draft a guy like Rondell Moore. He'll have four games where he's got like 500 yards and three touchdowns combined, and then he'll get hurt, right? I mean, that, that's – yeah, that's it's exactly what happens when they draft somebody like that. We're all going to get excited. Wow, they finally have a game-breaker with speed, and then all of a sudden it just kind of flies off the right. radar there. So, like you said, guys like Moore, Tutu Atwell, Mari Rogers, Jalen Darden, Kadarius Tony, such a good draft for Z-Speed prototypes, those guys that mostly play out of the slot, but you move them off the line of scrimmage, you use them in those backfield actions like the Chiefs use Tyreek Hill, you know, end arounds, jet sweeps, reverse motions, things like that. That's that's where a lot of teams are going to be searching for players this yeah. time around, and I think that those guys are just 
through and through so many of them in the draft this year. And uh, certainly I, I think it's well more worth the risk with taking one of those other guys that doesn't have the injury history of a guy like Rondell Moore. We wanted to get to some of the needs that the Patriots still have remaining. I think that we can both agree, and I think everybody can agree, that quarterback is the top one need the Patriots have in the draft. Let's let's clarify it like this, too. Even for the big Cam Newton people. Yeah. He's 32 years old. On a one-year contract. On a one-year contract and dealt with some injury issues last year, and he's continued to deal with injury issues. Even if you think Cam Newton is the guy this year, I I don't even think – and. We both know some people who could probably argue this, but I, I, I don't think that even the most optimistic Cam Newton supporter can say with a straight face that Cam is a long term, is in like a five year projection. Right. Uh, so you got to get that guy on board. I think, you know, when, when you're any team, once your quarterback hits 31, 32, you got to start looking at the, at the next guy. How old was Brady when the Patriots took? Garoppolo is what, 35? Yeah, so Garoppolo is a 2014 draft, traded in 2017. So yeah, somewhere like. Yeah, uh, so, you know, once your quarterback kind of hits the, the, the the mid thirties, you want to think about it. So even if you think Cam's the guy, he's about to enter his mid thirties. It's a really good quarterback class this year. You're not always going to be guaranteed that. Look, I think highly of next year's quarterback class, but I don't know that everybody will. So, you know, I, I think. Cam Newton aside, even if Cam Newton comes out and throws for 5,000 yards, I still would say long-term quarterback's a question mark. So I, I, I think that, you know, in that context, you can put Cam out of it. There you go. Somebody in the chat, I support Cam Newton. He's not a long-term option. Cam Newton aside, whether they paid him $1, $10 million, whatever, whatever he does this year, they still, in some sense, need a, a long-term five, six-year projection uh, quarterback option. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And my, but my fear is, Alex, uh, is that they're going to say the same exact thing that you just said, that Cam is the guy now and that we're more worried about three or five years from now. And that's how we get into Kellen Mons and David. Okay, but and I would hope players. they understand that those guys aren't really project doesn't mean you a long term option. Project right. means we're going to see what happens here. It's not a cement thing. They need a guy who, who can really realistically like Kellen Mond um who's the other one you're going on about Davis Mills all these guys I always have it up Alex and I'm like today's Davis Mills day I'm gonna watch his tape because Evan does this thing Evan Evan does he has a recency bias where his favorite his favorite prospect is the last guy Trey Lance I've been I've been you stuck on Trey Lance but that's also when I pointed it out so I wonder if there's some overcorrecting there but and look there's nothing wrong with it to us you know narps non-athletic regular people even a guy who's a borderline UDFA looks wildly impressive on tape because they right. can just do all these things we can never do I get you know you watch a guy you're generally impressed with him so I get it but you have a bit of a recency bias I just try to keep you in oh, check with it so, but, but, but the Kellen Mons, the Davis Mills, the Sam Ellingers, I see some people interested in him now for some reason. No. More likely than not, they're not going to be the guy. Right. There's very few guys, and nobody's guaranteed, but there's very few guys who more likely than not will be the guy. You need to take the right side on the 50-50 chance. Yes, Kellen Mond in the chat there. What about a shot on Kellen Mond? Kellen Mond is a shot. He's a shot in the dark. Yeah. You need to do a little better than a shot in the dark there. Exactly. Brian Lewerke. Like, if Brian Lewerke goes out oh, and starts playing a pickup game with people, you'd think he's like an NFL Hall of Famer. Like, normal people can't comprehend how so, talented you have to be just to sniff the NFL. But right. 
they need a guy who who has checks a number of boxes, has a number of traits, is trending in the right way in terms of development. The shot in the dark thing just isn't that you did that, and you ended up with Jared Stidham. That's Move who on. Davis Mills is to me. Jared Steinem. Thank you, Jared Steinem. That's exactly who Davis Mills is to me is Jared Stidham. Now, Davis Mills only has 11 career starts. Jared Sidham started a lot more games in college between Baylor and Auburn. But just in terms of highly touted recruit coming out of high school, one of those top quarterback guys goes to Stanford, beats out a guy for the job there, and, uh, and KJ Costello wins the job last year, is able to start 11 games, and has six foot four, 225, throws well from the pocket, has NFL arm talent, all these types of things that you can convince yourself of. And I texted this to you the other day. Davis Mills, I can make a cut-up of Davis Mills against UCLA with 10 plays of good quarterback play. And then he had two of the worst interceptions that I've seen on tape of any quarterback in this class in the same game. Right, And that's so Jared Stidham to me is not even funny. Just a guy that you can talk yourself into in a vacuum. Okay, this player has got everything that we look for. He's a quick rhythm passer. He throws well from the pocket. He's got good size. He's got good arm strength. But then the decision-making and some of the off-platform throws and some of the decisions that he makes with the ball in general, it all just kind of comes back to third-round, fourth-round prospect, just like Jared Stidham. And that's what I would worry about if I was a Patriots fan, is that they're going to talk themselves into one of these guys that had shown it in flashes and shown it in bunches at times, but is way too inconsistent on the whole. And is go- they're going to say, oh, we can get consistency out of them. They've tried to get consistency out of Jared Stidham. And there are times during preseason games or times during training camp last year where you see Stidham throw a ball and you're like, wow, all right, that's a really good NFL throw. And then the next time out, he throws an interception that you're scratching your head at. And that's the type of player they have to stay away from. I do want to pull up one question or comment. Well, can I say just to piggyback on that. Yes, and then the, we can throw this one up. The two most important traits in a quarterback, universally, doesn't matter your system, doesn't matter the age, doesn't matter the level. Two most important traits in a quarterback. One, durability. Are yeah. they going to be there out on the field? Can you rely on them? Can you count on them? Two, consistency. You need a guy, if your quarterback's not consistent, it makes it a lot harder to build the offense because you don't know what kind of help he needs. You want a guy that you know, you know, if we put this player, this player, and this player out with him, he's going to get the most out of him. The example I, I like to use, for example, like a, like a hockey example, hockey adjacent example. There's two goalies, okay? They both started the same amount of games. They both allow two goals per game, average. Except one guy allows two goals every game. That's what he does. Just every game, he's going to allow two goals, and that's it. The other guy, every other game's a shutout, but every other game, he allows four goals. Right. Which one would you rather have? Give me the guy who allows two goals every game because I know exactly what I need to do to build around him to be successful. Durability, consistency. That's what you're looking for. Only the elite, elite quarterbacks have both of those and the other NFL type of traits. Those are the guys we're talking about. I think consistency is such an underrated aspect of the, the most underrated because sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, and you kind of put me in check like you have in the past with guys like Mon and Davis Mills. <laughs> I can fall in love with a couple of throws, right? Where I say, yeah. oh, I, I can, I can mold this. I can make this work with whatever you give me. That's 
more times than not, that player doesn't make it, right? And the guys that do make it might not have the same level of – Kirk Cousins is such a great example of this, right? He doesn't have the talent of some of these guys, right? He doesn't have the talent of of a lot of these quarterbacks that are better than him in the NFL. But he is somebody that's consistently able to make certain throws and able to play in certain schemes, and he's able to survive off that consistent level of just Alex Smith, Kirk Cousins, these types of quarterbacks that are just level. Now, the Patriots hopefully will aim a little bit higher. That's why I wanted to bring up this question. There's a lot of smoke, maybe too much smoke at this point, about the Patriots' interest in Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields. At this point, it feels like it's so far out there and so much out there that Justin Fields is not the quarterback the Patriots want, and they actually want somebody else. But these are the Belichick Jedi mind tricks that we're sort of getting into here. This tells me they're trying to get somebody to jump them. This tells me they think one, two, and three are going to go how they go. They think that somebody's going to try to take a quarterback at four. They want or they they think they need to get to four or sixty to quarterback. They don't want to pay for four. So they want somebody to jump for four to get fields so they can get six for cheaper and get the guy they really want. Did that make sense? I kind of lost track of my own words while I was explaining that. They want, they want a quarterback, right? The picks are going to have to trade to get a quarterback. Four and six are the first two. Okay. They don't want to trade for four. It's going to be too expensive. They think they can get six. They don't think they can get four. If you convince somebody you really love Fields, and there's another team that loves Fields, they'll trade for four. That takes field, that takes that team out of the equation for you to compete with. Then you have less competition at six, it's cheaper, and you get the guy you really want in trade right. lands. That's how I feel, is that the Patriots are not interested in Justin Fields, are actually interested in somebody like Trey Lance or Zach Wilson, and they're hoping that their interest make somebody jump them, go up and get Justin Fields, like you're saying, and have their quarterback fall to where they feel comfortable trading up to. Because Justin Fields, to me, has a lot of things that do check the Patriots' boxes. And one of the things in particular is that their Ohio State offense is extremely complex. They run a pro-style passing system with a lot of adjustments and side adjustments post-snap based off the route, right? Where is the route adjustment going to go? They run a lot of option routes there. All right, and they run things like that that cause the quarterback to hold the ball a little bit. And I think that's why you see a lot of the times with Justin Fields, his process is a little bit slow. He stares down receivers at times, and that's because they run a vertical option-style offense. So those types of things, I think he's already been in there a little bit. And certainly the physical traits are off the charts, right? Arm talent, athleticism and mobility, mobility in the pocket too, and ability to throw off-platform from in the pocket. That's really impressed me as well with Justin Fields' tape. There's a couple of throws in those BCS champion, or I call them BCS, CFB championship games where he was not exactly clean in the pocket, didn't have his feet set, and he's still ripping it 60 yards down the field, right? Those are the types of throws that you say, wow, okay, that's really impressive with Justin Fields. But I think the main thing that I worry about with him in this system is that ability to process things quickly is that ability to cancel out things based off the coverage quickly early on in the progression and get to three, four, five, because he's going to have to be able to see the field quicker to survive in this offense. And we saw last year with Cam Newton, not that Cam's not capable of doing it with more experience in the system, but a quarterback that's holding on to the ball, staring down first reads is someone that 
doesn't tend to work here in this system. So I think that they do need to find that balance of, okay, can Justin Fields survive in our offense and be able to get through that progression quickly enough to survive? Because in the NFL, unlike at Ohio State, the first read's not always going to be open. Right. They're not always going to be able to throw the guy on the first read. So that's an important element of two. The second thing with Justin Fields that concerns me just a little bit in terms of the Patriots is his ability to operate under centers because he did do it a little bit at Ohio State, but most of their under center stuff was bootleg action, was rolling him out of the pocket. Not a whole lot of traditional play action passing from under center. So those two elements I think are going to be new to him and certainly something that he's going to have to work on. So unless they're going to plan on going full spread and just allowing him to operate in a spread system where he's hardly ever under this under center and they could change the scheme to fit that, but they're going to have to get rid of a lot of the play action concepts that they really, really like that have worked well for them over the course of their, of the 20 years that they've been here. So that those two elements concern me, but I I still love Justin Fields as a player. He's my quarterback too on the draft. I think some other teams can get a great quarterback out of him if they if they surround him with the right pieces. I just don't know if he's exactly the best fit here in New England. Some of the other needs that, that I had written down, and Alex, you can kind of correct me here if you want. I, I still think we're. I, I mentioned tackle. That's a big one for me. Yeah. I still think they need to draft a tackle at some point. Preferably somebody that can play both left and right to potentially back up Isaiah Wynn and Trent Brown and sort of bring in that future at that position. Because after those two guys, unless you want to convince yourself that Justin Heron is a long-term option, they don't have a whole lot of long-term options at tackle on the board right now on their depth chart, I should say. So uh, offensive tackle is a big one. We've talked a lot about running back, pass-catching running back. That's certainly up there. But the one I wanted to mention before we wrap up here is free safety. And they have been looking for Devin McCourty's replacement, Deron Harmon's replacement. Yeah. Maybe they think that they have it in Jalen Mills, but I don't really peg him as that type of player. I, I don't know if they have on their roster currently the, the next Devin McCourty. And I think that that's certainly something that they don't have to draft in the first round, like they drafted Devin, but maybe look to some players like a Richie Grant, uh, someone like that that can play in the deep middle of the field. Yeah, I've been big on this. Somebody mentioned Richard LeCount in the chat. That's a guy I really yeah. like on day three. Trey Boston's another one in free agency. I, I've been saying this since last year. They traded Duron Harmon. They never got his replacement. And I think you could kind of double up, get a guy who can play next to Devin McCourty initially in three safety sets and then hopefully eventually replace him as the center fielder down the road. So, I, you know, I think safety's a big one. I, I agree with you on tackle right now. Their two starting tackles are on one-year contracts. That's obviously not a recipe for success. Caden Stern's another good safety there in the chat. Yeah, Andre um, Cisco's a good one, too, that somebody mentioned in the chat. Yeah. He's had an injury history, but certainly somebody that can play very, very well in the deep middle of the field, which is exactly what they need. They have a very specific need to have a free safety that can play center field in cover one when they're playing man coverage across the board and provide leverage for those defenders. That's a, that's a key spot of their system. And I think a big reason why they haven't moved on from Devin McCourty or they haven't tried to transition that to a younger player is because it's a very difficult spot to play. Yeah. You have to be really disciplined back there and you have to be able to tackle. And if you can't do those types of things and you can't, be a Simon sound and understand how you can provide help to those cornerbacks, then the whole system kind of breaks down. It's sort of what holds the entire thing together in the back end. Absolutely. So yeah, I'd say in no particular, I think safety tackle pass catching running back is still out there. I I think that, uh, you know, linebacker in terms of 
Do they have the guy? There's been some rumors swirling about Donta Hightower's retirement. We'll see how those go, but yeah, coming soon, if not this year. And right when they brought in Hightower, they brought him in at the back end of Gerard Mayo's career, and those guys got to play together and kind of finding that next staple middle linebacker, if if that's something they can do this year. The other one, maybe it's a more immediate need, is corner. And I don't know that both Stephon Gilmore and J.C. Jacks are going to return. Even if they do, you're losing Jason McCourty, and then it's, you know, where do you go from there? You have Miles Bryant, but he's kind of locked into the slot. You have Juwan Williams, but they kind of, it seems like, want to turn him into a safety. I'd like to see them bring in, it doesn't even have to be in the draft, just a veteran corner, just a solid third outside corner. Again, like maybe it's Jalen Mills, but for instance, they talked to, who'd they talk to? The uh, Atlanta, from Atlanta. Uh, Desmond Trufant. Jason Trufant, thank you. Like, they talked to Desmond Trufant, and maybe it's bringing Jason McCourty back. Like, it could be that simple. But just, uh, you know, I, I do think they need another outside corner here. Not here, at some point before the season ends, whenever that is. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And I, I think the other position that I wanted to briefly touch on, do you think they're done at wide receiver? Because I was talking to Brad with- Kelly, who is uh, one of our, our wide receiver uh, gurus on Twitter, and he was telling me that he thinks Kendrick Bourne can play the X, and maybe that's what they have in mind for Kendrick Bourne. I could Bourne. see that, actually. I hadn't thought of that. I could see yeah. that. That would be interesting. So he was saying Kendrick Bourne, X, Z, Nelson Aguilar, Slot, Jacoby Myers. That's your three wide receiver set. I, I do wonder if they are still interested in bringing in somebody else in the wide receiver room. I just don't know which, which body type Whoa, oh, oh, we got breaking news, Evan. Oh, breaking news. What is it, Alex? We have a, a an alarm here, something? Hang on. I wish we had a siren. We're going to have to build one of those. I mean, it's pre-recorded. Well, we're kind of live. Here we go. Breaking news here. Breaking. Breaking news. Oh, that's not okay. what I thought that okay. was. That's a really obnoxious. All right. All right. Patri- the Patriots have waved Justin Rohrwasser. Oh, my God. Pour one out for the fifth-round pick, Justin Rohrwasser. So, there it was you go. before it started. It just was not a good pick in terms of wh- – the reaction to it was not good, right, because of the whole tattoo thing. And then he comes to training camp, and he was a disaster in training camp. Just a miss. It was a miss. And, and that's that. That's fine. It was a fifth-round pick. Nobody's going to cry over it. Um. Well, there were some good players on the board. There were some good players on the board at that point. And I guess I understand why they took Roar Wasser at the time, big leg and kicked in, in bad conditions, whatever, but – yeah, I, I, so, you know what? Let's throw another need on the board. I think Nick Folk, Nick Folk, I don't sure. think. Nick Folk was one of the best kickers in football last year, but he's 36. It's a fleeting position. It kind of comes and goes. And I, I don't trust Roberto Ohio. Like maybe he yeah. gets good again, but he was so far into the yips. Like I've called him the Daniel Bard of football. Um, maybe you need to bring in another kicker. Maybe you need, even if it's a UDFA, just somebody in case Folk takes a step back or just to have in the pipeline after this year. Uh, you know, I'm not going to put him, put kicker ahead of any of the positions we listed, but right. I, I think put kicker, and maybe they, it should have been on that list before they cut Rohrwasser. I don't know, but let's, yeah. let's throw kicker on that list here. I agree. Kicker, and we got to wrap it up really quickly. But kicker, I agree, is definitely on the list. Let's hope they go with an undrafted kicker though, because there's definitely guys that they can get. Well, so there's really the only one good kicker in this draft. Okay. Unless they draft Evan McPherson, it's going to be seventh rounder undrafted. But they okay. did meet with Evan McPherson, so we'll see. All right. So we'll talk about some kickers on Thursday. Alex always has the uh, the knowledge on the kickers. I mean, that's, so it. That's, that's it for the draft. It's 
Oh, that's it. Uh, that's Brent Brown's uh, cap number this year just came out as well, $7.6 million. That's a nice cap number for the Patriots too, right there for Trent Brown. That's very, that's perfect. They've really structured these deals nicely to keep their cap flexibility. You mentioned Thursday. We will be back on Thursday with another live Patriots beat. We'll take some questions. We might do a mock draft. I think we're going to try to figure that out as well. Yeah, I'd like to, I think we can maybe get that in. It's about time. The people yeah, deserve so we'll, it. We'll do a live mock draft post free agency, but until then, sign off. Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll be back on Thursday. Alex Barth, Evan Lazar. Thanks for listening, everyone.